Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. In this week's bonus cast, we got down with Order Groove's CEO and founder, Greg Alvo. D2C marketers have a never-ending love affair with subscription revenue, as well as the tools that enable it. And Greg's been a pioneer in this space for over a decade. This conversation really opened my mind about what's possible with subscription programs, as well as who might just be suited for starting one up. We talked about just how big the global subscription opportunity is, how Order Group won big for their very first user, why subscription programs work almost every time they set one up. You'll get Greg's best ideas for providing value to your community using subscriptions, as well as some great examples of unconventional brands cleaning up with subscriptions. I hope you get a lot out of this one. On with the show. If you look up Dollar Shave Club, their product was fine. Some liked it more than others. But what made them successful wasn't just the product and wasn't just the subscriber experience online. It was the community and content that they built around it. People would text me, oh, have you seen this month's content that just came in the mail alongside my razor blade? And I think that really built a fan base that was following them as much for razors to their faces as much as the content that they would receive on a monthly basis. These companies have near and dear to their subscriber experiences, their missions. Building a community around those missions, uh, I think that's critical and foundational to a successful subscription experience. Welcome to the D2C podcast, Greg. Uh, why don't you start with why you built Order Groove? Yeah, sure. For uh, Great to be here with you today, Eric, and uh, welcome everybody. Great to be here on this podcast. So I started Order Groove a number of years ago. The whole premise was that customers are busier than ever. Those brands that introduce convenience and frictionless experience that make consumers' lives easier are in return going to be rewarded with customer loyalty, retention, and extended lifetime value. I personally had a need as a competitive tennis player growing up in Miami, Florida, where I would play several hours of tennis each day after school and would go through supplies on a, on a routine basis. So my tennis strings, my tennis sneakers every six weeks. Um, and I would always want to purchase uh, on a recurring basis from Tennis Warehouse, which was a catalog at the time. But unfortunately, they it just it wasn't that easy. It was a catalog. It wasn't e-commerce. So I'd end up going to the local pro shop, which was called GT Sports, which is still around, spending you know two or three times the price just because it was I would run out and I would need it the next day. Because when you play competitively in any sport, you go through supplies and sneakers and apparel, what have you, on a quite routine basis. So I took that, parlayed it um, into a business opportunity, um, which is now one of the fastest growing categories of commerce. Amazing. Talk a little bit about the early days of starting it. When you built it, what, what was your, your first real proof of concept or your first, how did you know you had something that was really going to help brands drive revenue? I'm smiling because it was actually our first customer launch. So I bootstrapped order group early on with, uh, with $20,000 at the time we've since raised, um, millions of dollars, but it was our first customer, a brand named G diapers, which was a organic flushable diaper company. And this was a different product. It was a different platform uh, at the time, but they launched overnight. I'll never forget it. I was heavily involved in the launch of my engineering team. Um, but I went to bed because it happened in the middle of the night um, at like 3 a.m. And they were still working on it. I needed a couple of hours of sleep before the big day. And I woke up and there was 18 subscriptions for this brand, like immediately within a few hours after launch. And I literally looked at my, like, I, I talked to one of our investors at the time and he goes, wow, you're really onto something here. And that was almost a decade ago before this industry exploded. Uh, since, I mean, there's only three brands at the time really doing uh, subscriptions. One was Amazon, 
one was uh, Petco, and the other one was, I think, QVC. So we really evangelize the category. We call it relationship commerce, uh, which is really putting commerce, a relationship at the center of commerce to help all merchants thrive and make consumers' lives easier. But it was that moment when G Diapers launched after an you know, arduous effort at the time. 2008, 2009? It was 2010. 2010, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was, it was the early days. Um, but it was, a, it was a runaway success. I mean, that, that program was never stopped from there. And we've just, pretty much every merchant, every, every brand that we launch is successful out of the gate, whether it's a new to subscription program or a subscription first brand that's doing 50, 100 plus million in GMV. Uh, it always gets traction. I think it speaks to the consumer's shift in preferences from a transactional back and forth with a brand to a truly you know, frictionless relationship that is more intimate than your historical shopping experience. How big do you conceive of as the whole opportunity for subscription? Even even just your your, your notion earlier of, of you playing tennis, I don't often think of subscription as being something from that category of person who uses something like crazy. I always thought of it as something as like, it's just in your life. And it's the, there's almost an infinite field, I feel like, of opportunity for subscription. Where do you see it? So we call the category relationship commerce because we think the broader trend is beyond just subscription. We think subscription is a critical foundation for it. It's all about extending lifetime value and, and such, as we talked about. But we actually think the broader trend is these are these um, frictionless experiences could be committed like a subscription or membership, doesn't have to be committed. Um, but it's really about transforming commerce towards relationships the same way that software transformed towards subscription with SaaS. So that's the broader trend. But I think ultimately, we believe that uh, relationship commerce and subscription is going to be 50% of e-commerce in the next 10 to 15 years. That's like a very strong belief we have. I think it's going to be 20% in the next five years. Uh, I think Shopify said that there's going to be a half a trillion dollars in GMV flowing through subscription commerce models by 2025. And Gartner a couple of years ago said that by 2023, which is coming up, 75% of direct-to-consumer brands are going to have a subscription service. So a far cry from 2010, where it was just like, what, a magazine subscription? You know, is that like the the music club? I have to remember to cancel and such. It's such a, it's come such a long way. And one of my personal passions back then was to remove the stigma attached to subscription, which it ha did have a, st a stigma where, you know, you get that, that CD in the mail and it doesn't stop coming and such, and you don't know how to call the number that's not even in service. Um, you know, now it's just about convenience. And those brands that try to do the old school methods are thriving. The ones that put the customer, the subscriber at the center are seeing massively and fast growing businesses. And in terms of categories, I think it's also all categories we're seeing in now. I mean, we see it everywhere from the obvious, like fast moving consumer goods, nutraceuticals, health and beauty, pets, et cetera. We see furniture companies launching membership models like restoration hardware. One of our customers is Claire's um, which is a, you know, a retail chain that's, that's doing a really clever, they, they get the customer at the, you know, when, they, when they're piercing their ears when they're a young child and giving them that on-ramp to a relationship. So it really runs the gamut in terms of, of, of verticals. Explain the furniture situation a little bit. Is it sort of like a membership where you, you have the ability to like a, like a furniture library sort of, or how does that work? That's right. If you listen to Restoration Hardware's earnings calls, which <laughs> most folks probably don't do, um, and I've admittedly only listened to one, but they talk extensively about their membership service. It's a benefit, it's access. So there's like, you know, in the subscription world, there's replenishment, subscribe and save, there's curation, there's access more like Amazon Prime. Uh, in Restoration Hardware's case, it's the access model. And I think you get a special incentive 
for an annual fee and other perks and benefits and you become a member to the, to the business. And it's really helped them with seasonality. It's really injected this new recurring revenue stream. And while that's a big company, I think that the point where I sh- while I'm sharing that is for any D2C brand, I think this is a model with rising CACs. Everybody knows this, but CACs are rising thanks to auction models and VC fundings and so on and Facebook and so on and so forth. There needs to be a way to extend lifetime value. You probably see you're getting you know lots of people uh, building subscription programs on your platform. What do you see as some of the biggest mistakes that people make about building out their subscription program? I think anytime you do not put your customer at the center of the experience, you're making a mistake. And that sounds kind of obvious. Everybody says that. But I think when you look at some of the early meal kit companies, this is the mistake they made. They kind of had to have a subscription model, regardless of if the consumer wanted it, because their cost of acquisition was just through the roof. And I think that speaks to maybe more of a product efficiency than anything. But I think anytime you do not really put the customer at the center and focus on making your uh, relationship commerce experience, subscription experience, geared towards supporting whatever Eric's needs are as a consumer and being there with a journey and making his life easier and freeing up time in his life for other things, I think you're going to be making a mistake. I mean, you have to always put the customer at the center and not force what's right for your P&L or Excel, an Excel spreadsheet onto the consumer. You got to really think through the journey. Um, and that's at a high level. I think within, you know, going down a level, I think just making sure the consumer or the subscriber continues to get value. And there's so many different ways to do that is critical because that's going to be the difference between a churn after a couple of orders versus a customer that stays for you know years to come. I just did a podcast yesterday with uh, Vessi founder, Tony Yu, and he's such a, a great guy. And he's really good at thinking about his customer and really thinking about his communities, where his customers come from. And a lot of his efforts, go of the company's efforts, go into really supporting these communities in a holistic way that ends off paying off dividends well into the future. And he's never doing it. And it's, you know, it's from these, these pure intentions, I feel like where a lot of this comes from. And I'm, I was wondering, this made me think like, are, have you seen any brands doing great value ads when it comes to their subscription program in order to reward their customers, reward their communities and like really improve that relationship? Yeah. So I think, I think, you know, there's the obvious stuff, like the right promotional experiences and, 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 um, whether it's, you know, percents, dollars, points. Like there's so many ways to reward that from a monetary standpoint, but you said the magic word, it's community. It's about building the community that is, if you look at Dollar Shave Club, right? A few years ago when they got acquired by Unilever, probably, I guess it's been five years now. Um, that was one of the best things that happened to this industry, by the way. They, they Their product was fine. Um, some liked it more than others, it, 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 you know, but, but, and it's evolved and uh, I think become a much stronger and stronger over time. But what made them successful wasn't just the product, and wasn't just the subscriber experience online. It was the community and content that they built around it. I mean, people would text me, oh, have you seen this month's content that just came in the mail alongside my razor blade? And it was just, it was that level. I mean, it kicked off right with that video, if you remember. And I think that really built a fan base that was following them as much for razors to their faces and other as, as much as the content that they would receive on a monthly basis. And I think they did a really nice job of that and continue to. And the community that's been built around those types of brands, these, these real, you know, even other brands like like the Honest Company or whomever, which is a customer of ours, like these, these companies have near and dear to their experiences, subscriber experiences, their missions. And I think building a community around those missions that are, um, there's a match between the consumers, the, the subscribers' values and the brand's values just creates an overall better feeling and relationship. And uh, I think that's critical to uh, and foundational to a successful subscription experience. 
You mentioned that you thought that the Unilever purchase was a pivotal moment or a really positive moment for the D2C space. Is that because it sort of like helped really legitimize that phase of companies? I'm curious as to your why you'd say that. Well, I think it's like what we're seeing right now in D2C IPOs, right? Allbirds, Warby Parker, I'm forgetting the other big ones that just happened. But um, investors pour money into any startup, hoping that they're going to get a great return on their investment. And I think there's there's times with new markets where, listen, our market was considered a fad before it was a trend. And now it's one, if not the biggest macro trend in commerce. But through those fad times, the questions that investors always ask entrepreneurs that are raising money, a lot of entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs don't raise money, um, are, well, you know, what's my return going to be? Because at the end of the day, I have limited partners and I want to make sure that my money is going to be go further here than other vehicles. And I think when a market's new, like, the subscription market was, or like the D2C market was, there's always this concern of, is this going to monetize in a way that's going to be a great return on my investment? And I think what Dollar Shave Club did for the subscription industry was show to investors into into brands, into any entrepreneur, that this is a really meaningful market that's not going away. It took a significant share from other major blades manufacturers, and then it produced a billion dollar outcome, which was then redone by Harry's, which they got a bit part of the language screwed by the FTC, but they, you know, they, they, they did a, um, they had a $1.4 billion acquisition on the table afterwards as well. So I just think that what that did was it just really monetized the first market opportunities, which then created all this influx of investment into the category, which allowed for better consumer experiences, more innovation, and just overall growth. And the same, what we're seeing like Warby Parker, Allbirds today or yesterday, those are phenomenal stories for any entrepreneur in D2C. I don't care if you're doing $0 today or $100 million today. It really paves the path for everybody that has the ambitions and visions that are hard to get through. I mean, it shows that there is a, at least monetarily speaking, um, a wonderful you know journey and outcome ahead. Do you think it's getting harder? Do you think each successive wave, it gets harder? It's, it's hard because the tools get better as you're, you, know, you guys are evidencing, but the conditions you know, get a little choppy. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just think it's more competitive than ever, right? We talked about CACs are higher than ever, product quality, uh, transparency around the product. Like these are all things now that they're easier than ever, but there's also a flip side to that. It's easier now than ever to start a brand. Shopify's democratized that. Products like Order Group make that easier as well. So um, yeah, I definitely think it's getting harder. And that's why the need to differentiate uh, on a number of factors are, are the critical differences between, you know, every other brand and, and the most successful ones. And we talk about this a lot. I actually came from like a more performance driven space, the, you know, the affiliate space, but even, even early on in the drop shipping space. And there was a time where you could throw money into acquisition and, you know, build yourself a little business. But I think those days are, are, are mostly gone where you really have to think about acquisition, obviously, but you really have to think about retention. Totally. You really have to think about LTV. That, that's the only way these businesses really scale these days. It feels like. That's exactly right. I mean, Nobody wants to be selling dimes for nickels. And I think um, that's where LTV becomes so critical is obviously the more orders you get per customer, the happier they are, the greater the gross profit over the lifetime. Like these are all the keys, as you know, and, and this audience knows to build in a successful business in terms of metrics. Um, you mentioned earlier that you'd taken on some funding in this in this sort of growth phase. I was w- wondering if you were able to talk a little bit about how you've put that funding to use in order to like build out your product, build out your team. Where where has it been put to the best use? Yeah, so I don't even know if I shared, but Order Groove is a is a SaaS product that works with all sorts of brands from brand new entrepreneurs to largest enterprises in the world. So ranging from like a you know. Um, 
uh, L'Oreal to the chemical guys, Kind Snacks, Honest Company, Au Maquillage, et cetera. We introduce subscription and membership services uh, and experiences for these brands. Uh, sometimes it's for the first time ever and many times and more often than not now it's established uh, subscription first businesses that are doing you know, a lot in GMV, but everybody and anybody in between from a brand new entrepreneur that wants to self-serve on our platform to an established brand. The number one place of investment for us is, is the product. It's all about the product. It's about how do you, how do you help these merchants be successful with your product um, and make this very easy while also making the experience delightful for their consumer, their end consumer by removing friction and, and such. And giving them the tools and the levers to be successful and grow is, you know, it's, it's, it's easier said than done. And, and it's all about how do you make a delightful experience for the merchants. So we're uh, investing tens of millions of dollars right now into product and engineering, and that's not stopping anytime soon. Can you talk a little bit more about those delightful experiences? Can we like hone in on what are these delightful experiences? What are some examples of how people can really create them for their customers in subscription programs? Yeah. Well, I think it starts with the like getting live experience, the launching experience, right? So um, it has to be a seamless experience um, and it has to be able to be done for brand new brands that are entrepreneurs in five minutes or less. If you're a more established brand or if you have a business, whether you're doing 100,000 or 5 million or whatever it might be, yeah, there's going to be, you're going to probably want to customize things more, configure things more, but that should still be easy to do. But I'm, it starts with, you know, any brand new entrepreneur that wants to launch a subscription service on order group should be able to do that in five minutes or less. So it starts there. And then it goes on to different areas of the product, such as making it really easy for merchants to modify and test within the subscription management interface where consumers log in and manage their plans and such. Um, and, and really making it you know intuitive and having all the different knobs and tools to allow them to test different, uh, whether it's layouts or capabilities or what have you to drive up retention and LTV. Uh, and then there's other areas where it's like it's like delightful, unexpected uh, surprises. Like we invest heavily in machine learning and and, and personalization, uh, where we know when consumers or subscribers are most likely to churn, and can you use data science to predict uh, when that's going to happen and get ahead of it? So for the consumer, it's a surprise and delight where it's like, oh, you actually knew I was about to be overstocked. Got to do it in a non creepy way, of course. And then for the merchant, it's also it's also tools that mitigate some of, you know, risk and churn for which are the most important metrics in these types of businesses. So those are just some examples, but it's really making sure that the consumer experience is frictionless and also so is the merchant experience. Sorry, so the two most important factors are, sorry, friction and churn? Uh, in terms of metrics? Yeah. Well, I think retention's like, you know, acquisition's obviously critical, but retention and lifetime value of these subscribers are the most critical metrics, I think. Totally. And you also mentioned earlier all the different sort of categories of the way that you think about subscriptions. Could you mention those again? Yeah. So, I, you know, I think there's the obvious ones like consumer goods, beauty, nutraceuticals. We're seeing a, a significant uptick in apparel. You know, we have uh, companies like Claire's that sell hard goods. We have... Um, Brands like Il Maquillage, which is the fastest growing beauty D2C brand on the planet right now as a customer. Uh, we have a lot of food and beverage brands from Pete's Coffee is one of our customers to Kind Snacks is a, you know, obviously a, a pretty, a very ubiquitous brand that we all see at the airport and, and, and at our doorsteps where you can build your own bundle. Um, so it's really anybody and everybody in between pet sports, a customer of ours. So pets is a big one. My daughter wants to start a sticker business, a subscription sticker it. business. So, you, so stickers could be, could be the, you know, exclusive. That's a, that's a big on, idea. On when we were kids, you know, I, I haven't asked you your age, but I'm going to take a stab here. When we were kids, stickers yeah. were, 
I think they're coming back, but they were a big thing. I remember in grade school where, they, you know, there's like they're a, a big deal. And the tattoos that came in chip bags. Those, oh, yeah. I used to hoard those like a warlord. Oh, or cereal boxes where you dump the whole cereal box on the table and just get the tattoo. Uh, I totally yeah, remember we're, that. But we're, we're aging ourselves. Although I think they still do those things. I think Kellogg still does those kind of things. So that's OK. I mentioned the uh, I, I mentioned the BMG uh, Columbia House Music Club. So we're, we're already past the aging part. So one of the things we like to do on the podcast is uh, sort of manifest, uh, manifest. You know, there's a lot. You never know who's listening, as as we've sort of mentioned. Are there any brands out there that don't have subscription programs that you think should be thinking about it, should really be doing it? I'm going to go big first. Uh, but Sephora, I know they have their their box, but Sephora not having, uh, I think it's a no brainer, especially like we have, you know, we, we, we just have dozens, probably hundreds of beauty brands and as customers and it's successful every time. So Sephora, and I think Sephora does subscribe to the newsletter. So oh, there you go. To see if that um, makes makes its way out there. Nice. So what do you recommend for any listener out there uh, wanting to uh, check out Order Groove? Just go to ordergroove.com. Yeah, ordergroove.com. And if you're a brand new to subscription merchant and want a sneak peek in terms of our uh, premium offering that's going to be available for Shopify customers, but to get live in less than five minutes. And if you're interested in joining that beta, uh, sign up at ordergroove.com forward slash waitlist. We'd love to have you and um, excited about the opportunity there. Amazing. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on. Eric, great to be here and appreciate everybody listening. Cheers, Greg. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumer, all one word, dot co. If you're ready to access the proven performance marketing blueprint that scales your brand post iOS 14.5, if you're looking for the Facebook marketing system that's driven over $50 million in value for Pilot House's clients in just the last six months, then you are looking for Scale School, Facebook and Instagram ads made by D2C in partnership with Pilot House. You can go to d2cnews.link slash scale school right now to access the course for a $1,000 discount this week only. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.